turn to our scripture passage today, which comes from Mark chapter 6, verse 14 through 29. And just, just give us a little recap from what last week. Uh, last week, Jesus sent out his disciples uh, to, in, in pairs of two to go proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. And he sends them on this mission even despite the fact that a couple of verses ago that in Jesus' own, home, own hometown, he was rejected. You know, no one wants to hear him. No one wants anything to do with him. And yet Jesus is still adamant. Go tell people about my kingdom. And so now we have a little bit of a segue, or not a, not a, it's a weird transition actually. We find the death of John the Baptist. Um, and you know, like, the disciples are successful, but here is John the Baptist, the original person who proclaimed that Jesus is here. He's unsuccessful. And yet, what, it, what is it about his life and ministry that, that we can learn from it? Uh, that's what we're going to look at today, uh, coming from Mark chapter 6, verse 14 through 29. And if you guys are able, can you stand with me as I read God's word to you? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is like a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his uh, brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have, uh, to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she, sent, uh, she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give, uh, give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. Would you join your uh, hearts with mine a word of prayer? Let's all pray. Father God, as we come before you, we pray and ask that you would change us to be a people that reflect your image. 
that your heart is one that's full of love, it's full of grace, it's full of peace. These are the very things that we strive for, but we fall all so short a lot of times, a lot of times. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, work on our minds and hearts uh, to truly receive what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my kid, he had this uh, homework assignment, and it's all about uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, he's writing, it's part of like his writing exercise, and he writes things like, you know, when I I grow up, uh, I want to be a hundred years old. And then he said, when I'm a hundred years old, I'm going to eat as many snacks as I want because that's what my dad does. And he thinks, this is my life. It's going to be the greatest. I want to be a scientist. I also want to become a kind person. Um, I reflect on this because I'm sure for all of us, we have something we want to grow up to become. And not just professionally. That kind of stuff figures itself out. But as a person, what do you want to become? Who did you envision to become? You know, when you're younger, you're kind of sort of, sort of figuring things out. But when you get older, you, you kind of know who you are. But it, there comes like a crossroads where you got to ask yourself, do you like what you've become? Does your childhood self agree that you're like this now? I used to think as a kid growing up, uh, when I looked at my parents or adults in general, that grown-ups always have their, they, they must have their lives figured out because there's no worries in their lives. Uh, they, they, they have an answer and solution for everything. Now that I'm an adult and I have a kid, I, I realize that's really not the case. There's termite problems that you have to fix. There's uh, this generation of TikTok kids raising up. How do you raise your uh, kids in that kind of generation? Uh, There's the fact that you have aging parents and you're trying to balance how do I take care of them, but also I still have little ones to take care of. There's so many situations that you never really thought about or planned out, and really we're all just trying to figure it out together. And sometimes the chaos of our lives make us lose a sense of who we wanted to become as people. They make us lose a sense of ourselves that we never intended on becoming. This this passage is really a reflection of Herod's life and where he tended to go wrong, how he became this king of compromise in his life where it spiraled all the way down to where he could not recognize who he had become. And what I hope that happens is that as we reflect on the the passage here, that it will help us to reflect on the core of who we are as people, despite how often we can lose our way. And I want us to just consider three things here. One is, is what is the core of who we are? Second is, the moments of compromise that can happen in our lives? And last of all, what it means to be a child. These three things. Let's look at the first part, the core of who we are. John the Baptist dies, and he is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He marks the end of an era. Right? Everyone revered John the Baptist as this almighty prophet, and yet he is dead. How did he go out? 
Verse 17 indicates that John the Baptist has basically been calling out Herod for his unlawful marriage. And it says he has been calling. He didn't just do this once. He was continually telling Herod to repent. But Herod didn't listen. So a little bit of background story here. Herod is the son, Herod Antipas, the, the guy we have here. He's the, he's the governor of uh, Galilee, parts of Galilee. He basically works for the Roman government. And he is also the son of Herod the Great who is the very guy that um, ordered the massacre of, hum- uh, of Hebrew babies, uh, male babies, when he heard that Jesus was born. So he wanted to wipe out the competition. That's his dad, Herod Antipas. And yet what John is calling him on is the fact that how Herod convinced his own, uh, his, or convinced Herodias to divorce his own half-brother Philip so that they can end up being married together. Oh, but it gets better. Herodias is actually Herod's niece. I'll say this for all of us. Ew. How can things become so bad? You know? It's this that John is calling him on out on. And yet Herod's not the one that's bothered by what John is doing. It's actually Herodias. He held a grudge against him. He wa- she wants him dead. But Herod has a soft spot for John. Instead of giving him up to uh, Herodias' demands, he puts John in prison, uh, not necessarily to punish John. I'm sure that there was an element of that. But really, look at verse, verse 20. It says that he wanted to keep him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly. He's trying to protect John. And yet what's odd about this whole sequence is not only did Herod keep John safe, he frequently visited John in prison to hear John preach and teach about God. And it says that he was pleased by the things that John was saying. Even though John had been calling Herod out on his sin, the unlawful marriage, John was still, or, or Herod was still compelled to hear the gospel, to hear what grace is all about. You know what Herod is? Herod is what you call a halfway Christian. This pastor said it best, his name is uh, Ray Ortland Sr., and he put it this way. He said that the most miserable people are, are those who are half-hearted Christians. They know enough to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. They know too much to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. At the core of Herod's dysfunctional heart, he is not willing to surrender who is truly king of his life. Notice a couple times in this passage, Herod is referred to as King Herod. You especially find that up front in verse 14. King Herod. Technically, according to the Roman Empire, they didn't give out the title king out of fear that it will create this rivalry between the king and the emperor. And so they didn't label uh, someone like Herod as king. But Mark, the gospel writer, probably details this because Herod acted like a king. 
He possesses the attitude of one. In order for you to confess that Jesus is Lord over everything means that you have to accept that you are Lord over nothing. And that's something Herod could not accept. I, I grew up in a, a um, in my family household. I, I grew up in an era where um, they had this old school method of disciplining your child, uh, which basically means there was no concept of timeouts. But instead, if you know someone like me acted up within my household, we would get we would get hit. I tell my white friends about this, and they get really like offended for me, and their eyes get big. But don't tell anyone. I, I think I turned out okay, at least. Maybe you, maybe I'm wrong, but. Fast forward to today, right? And I, I have this conversation with my wife and, you know, I, I just tell her, man, you know, when the kids are acting up, don't, don't you, don't you just, you know, want to go old school on them? And like, the thing is, my wife, she, she's all into like gentle parenting and she's super good at like processing feelings and talking about why the kids did X, Y, and Z. And, but for me, it just doesn't come natural. And so I tell her, you know, don't you just want to go old school on these kids? And she says, no. The thing is, and I was like, why is it that I have such a hard time? And she said, because you have sin. It's a sin issue. You just want to control them. You just want the easy way out. This is why we're married. She's right. The sin issue is really about my control issues. I need to be king in their lives. They need to listen to what I say right away. See, where there are control issues, my king, this is my kingly tendencies, are control issues are really God issues. Who is king? As core values are being challenged, there's compromise, compromises we can make that can really change us. Which brings us to the second point here, compromise. Verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his, uh, for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee an opportunity. This makes it sound like this just happened, but nothing just happens. Murder doesn't just happen. Adultery, it just doesn't happen. Herodias, she had a fixed mindset. She was waiting for the perfect opportunity to finally get her revenge. And the thing is, you're either wholeheartedly following after God or you're just waiting for the next opportunity when you don't really need God anymore. It takes a mindset. Herod's mindset is that he is king. And so he's surrounded by all these important people in his house. And so now he's got to flex his kingliness to his important guests. So you imagine like this scene of MTV Cribs where it's fine dining everywhere. He's showing off all his art pieces that he has, maybe some horses and chariots and the amazing view of his living room space. He's showing his kingliness to everyone. And then comes the time for the entertainment portion. Because in verse 22 it says, Herodias' daughter danced for all the guests and everyone is pleased. Typically during this entertainment portion, they would separate the genders, and each gender would be uh, entertained in a specific way. So the daughter 
is probably no more than 13 years old and most likely is dancing around in a room full of men. Let me tell you, I don't think the dance, she's doing some rendition of Baby Shark here. So I'll let you connect the dots here, what she's doing. No one thinks this is wrong. No one even batted an eye to say, I think maybe we should stop. Instead, Herod applauds what's going on, the entertainment, his half-daughter, mind you. And in verse 23, he says, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Remember, he's not a king. So what kingdom is he even talking about? His mindset is he is one. the very person that Herod swore to protect, protect, ends up becoming decapitated, ends up on a dinner plate in the hands of a child. That's grotesque in so many levels. How can things get this bad? You know, how can things get this bad? Everyone thought it was okay. This, this whole sequence, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this show called Breaking Bad. You guys ever watch? I can't, I can't recommend it just because of its content. But basically what it's about is, is a high school chemist who finds out he gets cancer. And um, because of that, he, doesn't, he hasn't had enough money saved up. And so his main mission in life is to make as much money to just leave it for his family. Normal pursuit, right? So with his chemistry background, he, he makes uh, drugs, methamphetamine, methamphetamine. He becomes the best at what he does. He pockets a little bit more cash, but he doesn't stop. He keeps going, going. People die. His family starts to break up. Things get worse. And there's this one particular scene where Walter White, the chemist, that's his name, he says, I'm sorry. I kind of grew to like what I've become, a drug lord. It started off so innocent, spiraled down to where he became something he never recognized. This is what it means to set your mind to be king of your own life. Doesn't it sound so familiar in our lives? Any of us can be the Walter Whites. It starts off good, but you don't check it, and you start to spiral. The quickest way to spiral down a path where you can't recognize who you've become is when you look at everyone else's downfall. You look at the celebrities, you look at the fallen pastors, whatever. You look at your, your people, everyone that's fallen, and you start to say to yourself, that can never happen to me. That's them. That can never happen to me. Guys, any time I hear news about another pastor's downfall or some sort of scandal, my automatic reaction is that I grieve and then I plead before God, have mercy on me. That moment in, in, in our uh, part of our worship service, we have something called the silent confession of our sins. That's probably the most life-giving thing that you can participate in because it's, it's a heart check where in the subtle ways we pretend to be king over our own lives. And someone just needs to remind us 
You're not. You're not. To set your mind on God means that your whole life becomes one of repentance, becoming less and less a king, more and more a child before God. I took my kid to a soccer game for the first time this past week, and he just enjoyed so much food as he attended. I think he liked the food better than the actual soccer game. He got to eat this gigantic snow cone, and he just laced it up with all this like sugary uh, um, syrup and all that, and he got to eat a hot dog. Life is good. He eyes my, um, he eyes my licorice that I had, and I, I pull him off a piece, and he looks at it, and he says, uh, it's okay, I don't want to eat it. It's too much sugar for me. I'm just a kid, you know? Ha <laughs> ha. And I was like, what are you talking about? It says the kid who just scarfed a snow cone, you know? Shortly after this whole event, I, I, I asked him um, if he thought, I just asked him if he thought I, I, if I, I was the best dad. And he says, yeah. And then skeptically, I say, why do you say that? He says, because you're, you're my dad. I think about this exchange because this kid is so innocent. I can steer him in so many directions if I wanted. And for him to say, I'm the best dad, that's all he really knows. Because he always says it, I know I'm not. Uh, there's, I know the condition of my own heart. I know myself too well. And there's this sense that when you lose your sense of innocence, that's when you stop becoming a child. But really, I think adulthood is all of us trying to recover what it means to be innocent again. In biblical terms, what it means to have a righteousness of our own what it means to be justified in my existence, what it means to become a child again. Because at the core of who we are, we are children before God. Which brings us to our last point here. Children, child. Compromise, it looks like this. When you compromise who you are, when you compromise your faith with God, this is the reaction, verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry. The king became exceedingly sorry. He has such a guilty conscience that when he hears the works of Jesus healing and the miracles that are going on, good things that are happening, the kingdom of God is here. He's going to restore everything. Everything good will be, everything bad will become good again. All Herod can think about. Verse 16. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Herod thinks that John is coming after him in some sort of ghostly form to, to just get back at him for the rest of his life. And sometimes I can't help but imagine that's how we see our past in our own lives. That it has this same effect. Maybe not as dramatic, but our past sort of sneaks up on us like a ghost chasing after us, telling us you can never change because you're just too damaged and you've become too dysfunctional. Don't kid yourself. And we can possess a guilty conscience. You know, every, out of everyone in the Bible, I think, about, I think about a different king. I think about King David, who messed up beyond return. He didn't just commit adultery. 
when he pursued Bathsheba, he kind of, he basically forced her in that relationship. Not only did he do that, he ordered hits on innocent Uriah. A lot of people died, all because he just wanted to cover up his lies. The more that he lied, the more that people got hurt. And yet this King David, who messed up beyond all recognition, writes Psalm 23, in the last line he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We're so worried about our past catching up to us without realizing that God is always pursuing us. Either David wrote this psalm with absolute delusion or we really understood the heart of God. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus confesses, my soul is very sorrowful, exceedingly sad. You know why? He knew that his father wouldn't compromise in saving us. And so Jesus lost his innocence on the cross, that God gave up his own son so that he can make us his children. Jesus, uh, the sorrow of Jesus brought the joy of God's heart to claim us as his. In Christ, you cannot be anything less than a child of God, but you also can't be anything more than that. That is the best place that you can be. And God constantly reaffirms that as he shows us the goodness of his cross, that his goodness and mercy will follow us because we are his kids. Uh, With that in mind, let me close us in a word of prayer. Father God, as we think about some of the grim details of Herod's life, anyone can be a Herod. Anyone can lose their way. And yet, Jesus, you promise you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life as you come after us. You are the very reminder that mercy and goodness shall follow us to claim us as sons and daughters of Christ or of God to change us more and more Jesus whatever past that we may have whatever areas that we may have compromised may we look at the uncompromising promise that you give that you are truly for us and that you are truly with us so may we respond to you like sons and daughters simply embracing our Father's good pleasure of being in your company. Remind us what it means to be your child, and may that be the greatest thing that we could ever become. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.